Hello and welcome to Heilman and Haver, the stage and screen podcast, episode 30, coming to you virtually from Casa de Quinn and 1111 Studios in beautiful Port Orchard, Washington. I'm Matt Haver. And I'm Greg Heilman. We're two local actors looking to hone our craft by exploring the best in local theater and on the big screen. Each week we bring you entertainment, news and views, celebrate classic Hollywood, enjoy cocktails with a Tinseltown twist, interview talented local actors and directors, and chat with industry experts from LA to the UK. And joining us in a few moments for the first half of a two-part interview is Tommy Kurzman, makeup and prosthetics designer for Mrs. Doubtfire, the new musical comedy. I saw the show twice uh, back in 2019 and was, in a few words, simply blown away. The show uh, was truly comedy and a musical masterpiece all in one, and the message of love and family and commitment was really powerful. Uh, and that's coming from a huge fan of the 93 film starring Robin Williams. Big fan. Uh, it's one of my all-time favorite comedies and uh, one of the best films of the 90s, as far as I'm concerned. So we're looking forward to talking to Tommy here in a few minutes. Yeah, and I can't wait to see what Mrs. Doubtfire does in Tony season now that things are back opened up. Oh, me too. And speaking of awards and best movies of the decade, this year, the historic Roxy Theater in Bremerton, Washington, turns 80. To get off the year-long celebration of their opening back in 1941, they'll be showing a classic from the 40s, Orson Welles' masterwork, Citizen Kane, tomorrow. Saturday, May 29th. We're proud to have been asked to emcee the event. And not only that, we'll be joined virtually by our friend, TCM guest host, film historian, and author, Jeremy Arnold, who will introduce the film and give context and commentary on Wells's masterwork. Tickets are just 11 bucks, and we'll hit the stage at 6.30, or you can come early and enjoy the Roxy's pop-up wine bar beginning at 2 p.m. There's going to be opportunities to win prizes for knowing your movie trivia, and anyone born in 1941 gets in free. So, Visit roxybremerton.org forward slash showtimes to purchase tickets and mark your calendars for the first installment of Movies of the Decade, Citizen Kane, Saturday, May 29th, with TCM's Jeremy Arnold and us, Heilman and Haver. Links are in the show notes, and we hope to see you all there. And if you're a filmmaker looking to join the ranks of the Orson Welles of the world, why not start by entering the 2021 West Sound Film Festival? It will be held this year, August 6th through 8th, at the Roxy, in person, we hope, and submissions are open now and will be accepted through the end of June. For more info and to submit your project, visit westsoundfilmfestival.com and stay tuned right here for festival news and interviews. Well, as any amateur professional filmmaker, director, producer knows, it does take a village of talented people working tirelessly behind the scenes to make films and stage productions come together. And we love to talk to these specialists whenever we can. And we're especially excited to welcome Tommy Kurzman to the show for the first of a two-part interview. As we mentioned, uh, Tommy is the makeup and prosthetics designer for Mrs. Doubtfire, the new musical comedy, which debuted in Seattle, previews in October of this year, and officially opens on Broadway December 5th. Woohoo! And Tommy also recently designed wigs and makeup for the New York City revival of one of our favorites, Little Shop of Horrors. And his makeup, prosthetics, hair, and wig design skills have contributed to over 15 other Broadway shows, including All My Sons, True West, St. Joan, My Fair Lady, the Little Foxes, Long Day's Journey, Into Night, Bright Star, King Kong, The King and I, and Fiddler on the Roof, along with many other off-Broadway and regional shows. He joins us from his home in New Jersey. Tommy, thanks so much for being on the show today. Yeah, welcome. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, as we're sitting here, our listeners can, can only listen to the audio, but we are watching you literally at, in action at work. And uh, you're working on, it looks like, a wig there. Can you uh, walk us through a little bit about that without giving away too much? Yeah, so I am actually, I'm making a beard for a wig that I made. 
it's for a new TV show. Um, and it's for, I guess, mannequins, you would say. So it's been kind of fun to, you know, my neighbors think I'm crazy because one day there was all of these heads delivered to my house. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I'm sure they're like, who's this person that just moved in? But yeah, it's been kind of fun because it's the closest thing to a person I've worked on in over a year. <laughs> so how long does it take to make a beard or a, or a wig for, for one of these or, or just in general? Well, a normal wig for like a theater production that, you know, doesn't have bells and whistles and just, you know, needs to serve its purpose takes about anywhere from 30 to 40 hours, just depending on what the needs are, how long the hair is, you know, stuff like that. When you get into film, it gets tricky because, you know, distance isn't your friend. So things, there's more attention to detail and things can take longer, you know, depending, is it a balding wig? Is it? you know, a buzz cut wig is there's so many different things that go into, you know, recreating or creating someone's hair. Now, this is just one of the many things you do. Uh, You work in wigs, you do hair design, makeup design, prosthetics design, like we mentioned for for Mrs. Doubtfire, the musical. Tell us about your journey. How how long have you worked in the industry? And and what was the path that led you to what you're doing now? So it's interesting i mean i think i'm i have the commonality of a lot of people that work backstage you know when i was younger i was a performer you know in through middle school high school and i actually wound up doing a lot of the scenery like painting and all that kind of stuff because they you know my high school and regional shows that i worked on when i was younger they always needed help and so on the weekends and stuff i would go And a woman took me under her wing. She was kind of, she oversaw the costumes and the scenery. And I would go in every weekend. We would spend, you know, the whole day together. Sometimes my mom would be like, well, you're my kid. I never see you because I would always be at the school. And so I really found a love for that. And then also being a performer, I always felt like hair and makeup really was the icing on the cake, you know, like. I'm not discounting costumes because they can, we we've all seen bad costumes and we know that it's distracting and bad, but I feel like from a performer perspective, when you put on clothes and you look in the mirror, you're still yourself wearing these clothes. The minute you put on a wig and makeup, you're not yourself anymore. And so I always found that really interesting. And so going through high school and getting ready to look for colleges and stuff like that, I was like, well, I don't want to go to hair school. I don't want to work in a salon. What am I going to do? I don't want to be an actor because I don't want to wait tables. You know, I didn't, (laughs) you know, (laughs) so I thought about it and I was like, well, I really love scenic design. Let me go to college for scenic design. So I went to school. My freshman year was at Pace University in New York City. And they taught that, you know, they had very, I don't want to say older teachers, but they did. And they taught the more traditional way things were done, like rigging and all that kind of stuff. And I wanted to experience a program that was more modernized and with the times. So I went, I decided to change schools and I went to Adelphi University in Long Island for scenic design. And with their tech program, you, you do everything. You do a little sound design, stage management, you get a little taste. You know, I was up there hanging lights. I mean, you name it, I was doing it. And I definitely was able to wean off things I know I'd never want to do again. Um, (laughs) 
But I became really close with our costume design professor who kind of mentored me through the program. And it was the end of my sophomore year going into my junior year. And they were getting ready to hand out tech assignments for the next semester. And he called me in for a meeting. I thought I was in trouble. And he's like, I, you know, I want to talk to you because we're doing a show next semester and there's a new position that's come up and has been, you know, it's necessary for the show we're doing. And I want to know if you'd be interested in it before we give it to you. And I said, okay. And he was like, we're doing Steel Magnolias. And I was like, okay. And he's like, do you know the show? I'm like, yes, I love the movie. He's like, you know what it's about? And I said, hair. (laughs) And he was like, exactly. (laughs) So he's like, we don't have anybody to do the hair. Would you, you know, he's like, we don't have a teacher here that teaches it. So it kind of means you be on your own. I'm here if you need me. I'm here to help you. I just want you to know I'm not setting you up for failure. And so I was like, sure, fine, whatever. You know, I'm into figuring things out. I'll do it. So I did it and like, it was really great. And I don't know if it was really great because I was able to not be my own teacher, but in a way, like discover things and make mistakes and say, oh, no, I can't do that. I need to do something else. Or, you know, it really allowed me to grow and be creative and not have someone, you know, when you're in a school setting, you always feel like someone's looming over you telling you you're going to do something wrong. Um, And I didn't have that. So I really just got to be creative. And I did that show and it was a lot of fun, you know, and it was, and by do the show, I mean, I went to a wig store and bought things that I thought would work and dress them and, you know, use like these big old orange Fisker scissors and gave them haircut. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. And then after that, I was like, wow, like, is this a job? Like, is this a real job? How does this work? in the grand scheme of things, you know, when it comes to doing shows. And so I did a lot of research that break, you know, that I just was on the internet, like Googling hair and makeup design, hair design, wig maker, this, that, and the other thing. And I came across um, a name of Tom Watson and Tom Watson is, he was head of the wigs and makeup at the Metropolitan Opera Opera for, I believe, 18 years. Wow. Um, he, he has a, he designed Wicked. He designed, you know, a bunch of shows you know, that I loved and I thought were so creative and well thought out. And so I was like, you know what? I'm a ballsy person. I'm going to send an email. I'm going to find a way to contact him and I'm going to send an email. The universe works in very mysterious ways because the first class back, we have this class called Research, Rehearsal, and Production, which, because we were in Long Island, a lot of working professionals would come out and speak to us, you know, in all different fields. And someone came who was actually an alumni of our school. I I believe it was a master electrician. I know he worked in lighting, but I believe that's what his role was. At the opera, at the Metropolitan Opera. Really? And I was like, what are the chances that this is happening? Like, while I'm on the hunt for this guy's information, it's like this person is right here who could just probably walk to his office. So after the class, I was like, hey, I just want to ask you, like, here's my name. Here's my email. I'm really interested in hair and makeup, and I have no idea how it works. And the Met is like a huge thing. They do like 20 shows a year you have a department, you have somebody who oversees this. Would you give him my email and just let him know that I'm, I want to talk to him. 
a few days go by and I'm like, okay, like I know it. My name's on a piece of paper. It's probably in his cup holder underneath the iced coffee, you know, like <laughs> it's like, we're just going to let it go and we'll see. So I get a phone, I get an email that's from Tom and it's like, hi, I, you know, I hear you're very interested. Meet me at the stage door of the Met this day, this time, like very clean, simple, no fuss. And I was like, oh my God. So I went to the Met and I spent about four hours there where I met all the people on the team. There was five people working in the hair room during the day, you know, and it's, they also run the shows at night. Then he was like, you know, come down to my studio with me where we build all the Broadway wigs. Wow. And I was like, okay, like what? Like Broadway, you said Broadway. (laughs) I said, hello. (laughs) And so I went down and I met all the people there. And when I was getting ready to leave, I was like, you know, thank you so much. I you have no idea. Like this makes it all seem possible. Like this is a real job. There's a whole staff of people in here who pay their bills doing this. And he was like, I just want to let you know, like, first of all, don't quit school because Broadway will always be here. This was pre COVID. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Um, Broadway isn't going anywhere. He was like, but you need to finish your degree and we'll be here. And he's like, but I want you to know that I'm opening my studio to you. I want you, you know, if you want to come and learn, we'll teach you how to make wigs. We'll teach you. You can come on your days off from class. You can come after class. Incredible. And I just was like, I mean, even still, it makes me a little emotional because it just felt like impossible, you know? And so I did it. I mean, my next semester, I made all my classes so that I could go get on the train and go to the city and spend the afternoon there. And, you know, he helped get me in a summer apprenticeship at the Santa Fe Opera doing wigs there. And so I went and spent three months in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and, you know, worked on their productions for, I think it was 2011. And then I came back and I got a job being the swing in the hair department on Wicked on Broadway. Wow, full circle indeed. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I'm 21 years old. I'm a junior in college and I'm working on Broadway. It was like, it's over. Like I did it, like now what? Like, what can I do now? And so, yeah, I worked at the studio then for the rest of my years at school. And when I was about to graduate, Tom's current assistant, was leave. she focused a lot in more of the makeup world she wasn't really in she didn't do a bunch of hair she that she built wigs obviously but so she left you know she started a family she started to do makeup in film and tv so i was like tom i want to let you know i would love to be your assistant and so i was his associate for eight years wow after that very nice and and that is like how i started getting makeup jobs and people seeing my work and He really, really opened a lot of doors for me and something that I, you know, am passionate about now and especially being a younger designer is like you never stop giving credit to the people who get got you where you are today. You know, people lose touch, life keeps happening, things happen, but literally I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if it wasn't for him. It's an amazing story. Wow, that's great. 
I mean, it, and it's still, it's like, every time I say it, like, it makes me emotional, but I'm just, it doesn't seem, re- you know, like, it feels like yesterday that I just went to the Metropolitan Opera with my sad little portfolio of, like, cut up wigs, like, I want to do hair. And, <laughs> like, I even told him, I was like, I had, I had nothing to offer you. You know what I mean? I was like, literally, you taught me. And I... I'm pretty sure what he said to me was like, sometimes Tommy, you meet people that have the drive and that yep. reminds you of what you were like when you wanted to learn and what you wanted to. And he's like, and it's all about like paying it back. Yeah. And that's, you know, sometimes you were saying about being in the right place at the right time, having kind of these things aligned, but then that's only part of it. Right. Because I mean, you put in the work and, and you had the drive and so you took yeah. it that opportunity and, and really ran with it. What would you, so if you had, if there was somebody else in your position that, that came to you and said, Hey, I'm interested in, in makeup or hair, what recommendations would you have for them as far as either trying to get started or getting experience or, or reaching out? I would really say, I think my biggest thing is like, be, be a present, you know, even if, if somebody, if you write to someone or you reach out to someone or, you know, however it happens. I think letting people know that you're not just looking for a job. It's more about, I'm really interested and I want to be a part of this because well, what we do and theater in general is such a community base. Anyway, I might not have a job to offer you, but I might have an experience to offer you, which then could lead to other things. You know, it's like never discount something that may not be what you wanted it to be, you know, like, because just being around the people, that's half the job. People want to work with people they like, who they vibe with, who, you know, they that understand each other. Like there's so much more to it than just the job. All of us are always stuck in a dark theater in some musty basement in the theater district. You know what I mean? It's so not glamorous, but when you're with people who you feel like support you creatively and, you know, all that kind of stuff, it makes that makes that all go away. So I just feel like being a presence, being vulnerable, saying yes to everything. You get to a point where you learn that you can't say yes to everything. But in the beginning, it's literally like no thing is too small. No thing is too large. Show up. You know, if it's come, just come sit and watch what happens at a photo shoot for two hours on a Saturday. Show up. There's no loss here. You know, you're around people that are doing what you want to do. And so I think that that's more than half of the job and, you know, the interest. I think that's probably the best encapsulation of our approach to this podcast that I've ever heard from a guest. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because, you know, when especially when COVID hit, Greg and I had chatted about the idea a bit. But then when COVID hit, we realized, you know, we're, we're new to the acting scene. And that's all we either of us had really ever done. I had a little radio in my background. Greg's got the public speaking, et cetera, on the business end of things. And... It's like, we want to learn. And so we started reaching out to folks uh, first locally, people that had been inspirational to us, directors we'd work with. And then pretty soon it was a little further out and pretty soon it's LA and pretty soon it's, it's uh, you know, London. And then we're, we're speaking with someone like you. So I totally agree, you know, learn and absorb everything you possibly can from everybody who's willing to tell you what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Be a sponge. Yeah. 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 And, and it doesn't stop even when you start getting jobs because it's like, you know, one day I'll be working on a show and, you know, obviously the costume designers who hires the hair and makeup designer nine times out of 10. 
And they'll be like, oh, well, I'm going to dinner with the lighting designers. Do you want to come? And it's like, yeah, but that that creates another relationship where next week that lighting designer is in a meeting with a costume designer who's having a breakdown because they're not happy with something. Okay, I know who you should call. Right. And it has no direct connection, but like just keeping all those doors open and like it, it never stops happening. You know, like the, the connections you make, it doesn't matter who they are, what they are, what they do. You never know who's going to turn around and like help you out. <laughs> yeah, these, de- these degrees of separation that you never know how, how they're going to play out. It's, I always like the, to look at it like one of those uh, crime scene walls with the little push pins and everything's connected back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Know? Well, I'm curious about what are, uh, who are some of the artists that you look up to? You spoke about your mentor and people that you got to work with. Are there any shows or films that stand out in, in makeup and hair, wig design, uh, some folks that you uh, aspire to be one day? Yeah, I mean, there's a ton of people, especially like there's so many people here in New York, you know, the hair and wig community, theater, film and TV collectively is so small because it's such a an intricate, like specific thing. I'll never forget. I think one of the first people I met once I considered myself like a wig maker, they were like, you know, the two most rarest jobs in the world, like if you were to have a group of people and ask everybody what they did, is a wig maker and people who write grants. Those are the two <laughs> most, like the rarest jobs to find for like people who do it. And so we're pretty tight, like the New York theater community and even like LA, I would just say the theater hair community in general we're very tight and supportive, you know, like, so as far as aspiring, it's like, I just aspire to keep that a thing. I think that that's so important and to be supportive of other people's work and everybody gets a chance to shine, you know, like there's so much work to be had always that, you know, no job is too big or too small. So as far as like aspiring to be other people, I at this point in my life, I aspire to have my own shtick, like my own thing. You know, like Tom, my mentor, he'd have, he comes, like I said, he, he has a big history of opera. So he is really good at like, like doing period with a little stylistic moments, you know, like it might be a Marie Antoinette wig, but they're, you know, he did the wigs for Adam's family. And so like there were, there's a scene where everyone's like an ancestor And so all the hair was gray and white, but he decided to run like pastel colors through it. And like, Hmm. just like a weird, he does like that, you know, like that kind of, he does that really well. And so my thing is exactly. And I think like being a hair and makeup person is like the people that I've seen succeed in the way that I hope my career takes me is by finding those things, like trying to be someone else that stops somewhere as far as from a design aspect. I think that you really have to throw yourself in and try a bunch of different things and find out that thing that makes you stand out from everybody else. It really is an art, right? And as an artist, you, you're, you put your own tag and and everything. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm curious, you mentioned networking with other, other crew members. How, how do you, or do you interact with other crew members, costume and other folks that are in the crew when you're doing a show? I mean, it really depends on the show because there are shows where 
you're having conversations with props, you know, you're having conversations with the scenic people because you need to try to figure out how you're going to hide things on the set. You know, you're having talks, you're having conversations with the lighting designer because, you know, somebody's makeup, like they look, they don't look great. Like, is it a, is it a lighting thing? Is it a color thing with their makeup? You know, like you're always kind of trying to figure out something like that. You obviously talk to the director. Your biggest method of communication is the costume designer because you're creating one look, you know, from hair and makeup, both standpoints. And even sound, I mean, you know, in musicals, like actors wear their mic packs in their, under their wigs sometimes, depending on what it is, because if their clothes are very revealing, you can't have a big old mic belt around the middle of them. A friend of mine who actually I became really good friends with working on Mrs. Doubtfire, he did the hair for Mrs. Doubtfire, David Brian Brown. And he also did the hair for Moulin Rouge. And it's like, you can't have those beautiful girls out there in like next to nothing. But in a show like that, it's like, the silhouette you can disguise a microphone you know it gets hard if you're doing something like in the 1920s where it's really tight to the head you can't they're not going to have like a tumor under like that doesn't work (laughs) so i mean really you kind of work with you obviously work with stage management for scheduling you know it literally there is something for everybody you know, you're working with the choreographer, you know, depending if the hair is down, you know, are they flailing around? Is it getting caught in their face? Does it become a safety hazard? There's so many things that go into a show and into hair and makeup that the person sitting in the audience, they have no idea. You know what I mean? So I literally think there's not one department that you would not interact with for some reason. Speaking of Mrs. Doubtfire, uh, I'm curious, did you work with or communicate with any of the original artists from the film when it came to designing for the Broadway show? Because obviously this is a well-loved film. How did you create something new that still felt familiar? So, first of all, when I was asked, it was kind of, it was a big deal because not to get like into my emotional side of life, but at the time it, it was not too long after I had lost my mom and my mom and I, like that was our movie. When I was a kid, she'd always say, honey, you're going to grow up and be Harvey Firestein. <laughs> and so like when I, got, when Cassie Zuber, who, you know, I've worked with a lot through Tom and, you know, she's entrusted me to do a few of her shows. Now she asked me, she said, I know that like prosthetics is not necessarily your go-to thing, But she said, I needed somebody who would be excited about the project and willing to put in the work to figure it out. She said, because this, you know, in the movie, he had, they, I think when they got it down, you know, I did a ton of research when they got it down quick, you know, they've been doing it a while. I think it still took almost four hours and we have 15 seconds. Yeah. And he's just come out of a huge musical number. He's sweating like a dog. He has to change his clothes, everything, you know, there's teeth, there's the whole routine there's. And so there's no glue. There's no, it was really about figuring out how we're going to make that work. And what was super helpful with the whole thing, just this is from the like getting started part, the director, you know, Jerry Zach, he's fantastic. He's so supportive. He didn't know that they could, that it could be figured out. He was concerned that it would stop the show you know, and like it needed to be 1% room of error. Yeah. 
like he didn't want it to become a thing where like now the show's being held because the face is this and is it going to look right? Is it going to look, see how are we going to get it on? You know, but he, in the, one of our first meetings, he said all of these things to me and he, he, he grabbed me by the arm and he was like, but I trust you and we're going to give it a go. And it's like things like that, like that makes it so, it doesn't seem impossible anymore because you have, you know, Kathy, who's giving me that support. You have the director. And then really what put the icing on the cake was the actor. I mean, Rob McClure is a class act of a human being and of a professional. And he really, if it had not been him, I don't know that it would have been as pleasant a process because he was so invested in the fact that like I was capable to figure it out and we were going to work together and we know there was going to be like, oh yeah, uh, hell no, like moments, but we were going to work together and we were going to try our damnedest to make it work. You did. And, and the way that Rob moves around the stage, I mean, it is an athletic performance on his part. You guys really had to have things uh, nailed down. And like, what was so interesting is that I was kind of brought on a little later than, than normal because they had thought that they weren't going to do this. They weren't going to use, there was going to be no prosthetics. And that's where Rob really took a stand and was like, as the actor portraying the role, it is vital that it is convincing to his family, which is, they're two inches away from him, that this is not a costume. This is an old lady. You know, they're this close to him. It can't be like, Dad, you have a wig and lipstick on. Right. It's so much part of the original story. Yeah, exactly. Because it's like, this man isn't dressing up as a woman for a gag. He's literally dressing up in a costume to be able to fool his wife so he could spend, well, his ex-wife, so he could spend time with his own children. Right. And it's like, how am I going to get into the house? Oh, they need a nanny. Okay, we're going to be the nanny. All of those things, it had to be convincing. We couldn't have something, like I said, it's like there's a suspension of disbelief from being an audience member. And then there's just like the jig is up, like we're not buying it, you know? (laughs) I don't need a hand, I need a face. <laughs> exactly. And so, I mean, that was the thing. And so then I got brought on and thinking about it, you know, I Rob has such like a, war- he, he just is such a warm human being, like, and so loving. And I don't know, that's like just the vibe he gives off. He has su- su- such soft features. And I was looking at his face and I'm like, well, you know, we want to still, as an audience member, we still kind of want to see through it. And know that it's him watching it. You don't want to be so convinced that you lose the whole shtick. Or you think it's a double that's playing him or something like that. Yeah, exactly. I said, but at the same time, like you want to keep the, his aura and like the, his, his face to a point. And so I just started looking up photos of like slightly plump old ladies, slightly, (laughs) you know, and just like looking at their features. And, you know, my grandmother was somebody who, she wore some makeup, but she wasn't, you know, sitting in front of the makeup mirror for three hours. So it's like, there's a different look to that, you know? And so we wanted it to be soft and very simple. Like she has, you know, she puts on her rouge and, and then looking and doing all the research with the old, the old, you know, the version of the movie, we wanted to make something fresh. You know, there's a lot of like modern clothes. There's a lot of like, you know, it has its own little twist, but I did take 
photos from the movie of Robin Williams in the iconic look and kind of lay them next to these photos I was pulling up for research to find like what was the commonalities between the both that I was responding to. Like, how can you change someone's face but not have it look like a mask? So like we kept Rob's, his nose is the same like distance from his face, but it's wider, Mm. it's flatter. Like, and it, it was kind of just looking at that, like, what can we change about his face without having it become just like comedic where it looks like a mask? And so, you know, like I said, I was brought on a little later than normal because they didn't know that they were going to go down this route. And when I was brought on, it was right before Halloween. So trying to find a shop, you know, because when you're building prosthetic, you need a shop that has all the stuff like that's a whole, you can't really do that out of your garage on a Sunday afternoon, you know? And so I found this girl and she was amazing. Her name is Melanie Licata. I believe she was on that show Face Off at some point. She works at a makeup shop here that I buy stuff at all the time here in the city. And she came highly recommended to me from friends. And, you know, we met up and we brainstormed and I, you know, we went through, I went over all the choreography with her and how it needed to function. And I knew that it had to be like a pull on one piece, you know, snap in the back to give the tension around the neck so that it wasn't flapping away. But that's, it needed to be very simple. So then looking at those photos again, I was able to decide like, okay, we're going to hide the crease for the edge of the mask under his eyes, because when we put the glasses on, you won't be able to see Ah. where the where the mask ends and where his face begins and so it just became you know looking at that kind of part of this like how are we gonna hide how this all works because there's no tape there's no glue there's nothing it's literally silicone and elastic and that's it i was gonna ask so you mentioned silicone and earlier before you mentioned about rob with you know sweating because of musical numbers and things like that I'm curious about material selection. And and I guess it's more than just a prosthetics question, but even makeup and hair and things like that. When you're looking at materials, what do you take into consideration? Um, Because obviously there's, there's, you know, might have allergies or some sort of skin reactions to things. So how does that work? Oh yeah. Well, that's like one of the first things I do after the first rehearsal is kind of email each actor and introduce myself again and say, you know, do you have any concerns, allergy, things I need to know about, stuff like that. And then I also include, like, are you a heavy sweater? Like, if you have preferred products, what are they? You know, and I kind of, again, pull them all out and, like, make a list. Like, this person likes this brand. Okay, five people like that brand. Two people like this brand. We're going to go with this brand, you know, and keep it simple. Because I'm also keeping in mind, somebody's going to have to keep track of all this. Somebody's going to need to order it all. Someone's, you know, so we need to keep it hair supervisors that also supervise makeup on Broadway and just in theater, there's a lot to do outside of just running the show. So you want to kind of keep it as simple as possible for those people. So I think that's kind of how I go about like the prep part of it. Well, thank you again to our guest today, Tommy Kurzman. You can follow Tommy and see examples of his talent on Instagram at at Tommy Kurzman Wigs. That's at Tommy with two M's. K-U-R-Z-M-A-N, Wigs. And for more info on Mrs. Doubtfire and to buy tickets for all our friends in the Big Apple or those who want to make the flight over, visit MrsDoubtfireBroadway.com. And make sure to tune in next week for part two of our interview with Tommy, Friday, June 4th. And if you enjoy the show, make sure to follow us and share the podcast with a friend. 
You can find us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Amazon Audible, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. We'd love to hear from you, so please join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter, or email us with thoughts and comments at heilmanandhaver at gmail.com. And until we're treading the boards together again, thank you for supporting local theater and for joining us once again on Heilman and Haver.